Hello, and thanks for listening to this week's message from the Napoleon Church of the Nazarene, where we exist to help people take their next step in a transforming relationship with Jesus Christ. We hope that as you listen, you are both encouraged and challenged as you take that next step in your walk with Christ. What's good to be in the house of the Lord today, isn't it? My name's Dave. I get to be uh, one of the pastors here at NAPNAS, and it's just a joy, uh, first and foremost, to serve the Lord, isn't it? He gives us this, this wonderful privilege to be loved by Him and love others, and, and secondly, to be in such a great body of people. And if you're visiting or watching online today, uh, we hope more than anything you just sense the peace and the assurance of Jesus that, that we celebrate uh, through this Advent season. We're so glad that you all are here today. And Candy, it's great to, great to celebrate you guys uh, you're one of all I've ever known since I've been here. We, we love you. We're glad you guys are hanging around. We're in the middle of a, our Advent series, uh, just simply titled, He Is. And so there's some, some phrases throughout this morning I, I think you'll get and that you'll remember with me. I'm sorry, I apologize here. But from the book of Hebrews, our, our kind of key text is that he is the radiance of the glory of God, speaking of Jesus the exact imprint of his nature. Is he pulling any punches? The exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. And we have in the Bible, the Old Testament, the first you know, several books that we see there. And, and we see things that point towards God and, and towards his character as signpost. And, and Pastor Ben, a couple weeks back, described this a bit as a puzzle. Like we, we have the pieces, but sometimes it's hard to see the whole. And then we found out that, that Pastor Ben hates puzzles. And so, Ben, I think you're going to get a lot of puzzles for Christmas this year, my friend. I wanted to just go out and buy the, the one that had the most pieces and looked the most difficult just to see if you would actually. It was either that or a, a friend of ours said, well, maybe we should just get him the, the three-year-old version that has five pieces and we'll be good to go. So we see these fragments in the Old Testament that paint this glorious picture of God though that we see in Christ in the New Testament for he is Today, we continue this Advent journey, the anticipation, right? We don't use that word a lot in our culture today, Advent. It's, it's the anticipation of what is to come. A season in which we embrace in profound ways the, the hope that we find in Jesus, the joy we find in him, the peace that we find in him, and the love that he comes to bring and share. And so today, though, we want to focus on God's redemptive mission for humanity. When all hope seems lost, this is where I'm going to need you to help me because you're hearing this phrase a lot. When all hope seems lost, I'd like for you to respond this morning, he is. Can we try that? When all hope seems lost, he is. He is never lost. Reminded me of a story I I remembered from years ago, back in the 90s. I'm a, a bit of the product of the 90s. There were two men uh, that were on this quest to return a prized possession of this individual. And and they drove countless hours trying to get there only to realize they had been driving countless hours in the wrong direction. Well, if you can imagine, tension grows. Any of y'all that are married, if your marriage is anything like Brittany and I, will know there's a lot of tension in the car at times. Uh, If I think we should go right, she thinks we should have gone left. I mean, that's just the way it rolls in the dually car, right? 
Tension began to grow, and eventually these two men, they just kind of separate their ways. Story goes on a little more, and eventually, as you see uh, in the distance, there's this man that's walking down the road, and this distant light, a very small vehicle begins to approach. As the vehicle gets up, you see one of the men kind of do this number, in which he says, I got room for one more if you still want to go to Aspen. Traded the van for this straight up, and he gets 70 miles to the gallon on this hog. The guy looks back at him, shakes his head, and says, Lloyd, just when I think you couldn't possibly be any dumber, you go and do something like this and totally redeem yourself. And any of you that grew up in the 90s know this movie as... There we go. And if you haven't, don't go watch it. It truly is the dumbest movie you'll ever watch. It's like a waste of brain cells. But there's something beautiful about redemption, isn't it? When all hope seems lost and you see the story start to turn, where now there's a a glimmer of hope again. That's what redemption is. The act of being saved or the act of reclaiming or regaining possession of something. It's the turning point in the story. When all hope seems lost, redemption changes the course. Side note, if Pastor Justin can compare Jesus to Bucky's, I can compare Jesus to Lloyd Christmas this morning, my friend, all right? And if you didn't watch last week, go back and watch it. God's work of redemption all throughout Scripture. We see people often find themselves in dark moments. You know, if you've read the Bible or if you haven't, let me tell you, there's a lot of moments in the Scripture that seem hopeless. And yet over and over again, we see that God provides a light that is greater than the darkness. We see this word in our Hebrew text today. We define it as radiance or brilliance. The Hebrews would have known this word as a light that fully engulfs something. You know, we have those of you that are, are iPhone users, when they, they added a feature in photos a, a while back where you can add brilliance to an image. Have you seen that? And, and you can increase the brilliance and it takes the whole image and just starts to make it brighter. And yet even there, it fails in comparison of what it means to be fully engulfed. It would be like taking the brilliance and increasing it until you can't see any of the image anymore. It's just white. Fully engulfed. Fully enveloped. And I believe that's a beautiful picture of what it's like when God shines in the darkness, isn't it? That there's no shadow in him. There is only God. And so when all hope seems lost, he is. He never grows weary. He never grows dark for he is this engulfing light that the word says the darkness cannot comprehend. And that provides redemption then from the darkness. Today, we continue the story that you've been hearing over the last several weeks uh, from Genesis through today, Exodus. We've heard stories from Pastor Ben and Justin about Abraham and how all the nations would be blessed through him. And last week about Joseph who was elevated to second in command uh, under Egypt. 
And all his family would come and live and, and prosper in that land. And now today, since that story, 400 years have passed. Now 400, when we think of it, may not seem like a long time to some of us, but the U.S. is only 247 years old, right? So just think about that in, in our lifetime. Like, this is a, a significant period of time. And if you can imagine, sometimes people forget things. I forget things from two hours ago. 400 years had passed, and there was a new Pharaoh now in the land of Egypt. And this Pharaoh does not view now the people of Israel as a blessing. And so he begins to redefine the goodness that they brought into the kingdom. For him, slavery became something that seemed good. For him, murder became something that even seemed good, even the murder of innocent children. You see, we would see in this that in Exodus, Egypt had even become a more worse Babylon. Yet when all hope seems lost, Exodus 2, 23 and 25, if you have your Bibles, your phones, your tablets, I'd encourage you to get those out. And, and we're going to be all over Exodus this morning, so I don't have a lot of these scriptures uh, for you. I have none of them on the screen. So if you have your Bibles or your phones, please get those out. Exodus chapter 2, 23 and 25. says this in verse 23, during that long period, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out. And their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. God heard their groaning and remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. The story would continue to go on, and in this we find a couple Israelites by the name of Amram and Jacobed, and they gave birth to a son. And in efforts to save their son from the command that Pharaoh had given to have every firstborn male from the Hebrews put to death, they built this basket for their child, and, and they waterproofed it in such a way that they could put it in the Nile River and send it away to try and spare their child's life. You know, I don't know about you, but that's a pretty hopeless situation, isn't it? Yet when all hope seems lost, he is never lost, is he? In the midst of the story, Pharaoh's daughter discovered the basket and was moved by compassion. Isn't that the way the Lord would work? To move by compassion, she adopted this child. This is in Exodus 2.6. 2, and she gave him the name we know today as Moses. The name Moses, which, in, which means drawn out. Moses would grow as a royal child of Egypt and enjoy all of the, the conveniences and the luxuries and the nuances of that. Throughout his life, he, he would grow, and, and one day he found himself outside the palace as he was older, and he saw an Egyptian that was beating one of these Israelites, and in his heart, he began to feel something and responded. It says he looked every direction, 
And then he took matters into his own hands and he struck down the Egyptian. He killed him and then he hid him in the sand hoping no one had seen him. Some time went on and, and then Moses came back and he saw some other Hebrew men that were kind of quarreling and, and he was going to stop them in which they responded in Exodus 2.14. Remember, Moses didn't think anybody saw him, right? Or are you intending to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Have you been there before where you felt like nobody knew and then all of a sudden somebody does and you, you just grow weary and faint? So Moses now in this, mo- this point says, oh my goodness, somebody saw this. And if they know, others know. And if others know, others know. And eventually the Pharaoh is going to find out. So it says at that point, he became afraid and fled to the wilderness. And he was right to do so. Because this Pharaoh, who had no problem killing innocent babies, wasn't going to think twice about killing his adopted brother. And he pursued him and sought to find him. When all hope seems lost, he is never lost, is he? In the wilderness now, we find Moses, he had settled and and he had even married. And in Exodus chapter 3, verse 2, it says, There the angel of the Lord appeared to Moses in flames of fire from a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. In that we find that that God had seen the distress of his people. And then in verse 10, it says, So now go, I'm sending you back to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. How do you think Moses responds to that? I think I would have looked back and said, You're going to do what? (laughs) You know, you led me out of it. You're going to send me back? Seems a bit hopeless, doesn't it? Yet when all hope seems lost. Exodus 3.12, and God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. And when you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain Story goes on, now we find this confrontation that happens between God and Pharaoh through Moses, in which Pharaoh, and and, you know, all I can see and hear here is Charlton Heston, those of you that remember the story of Moses, that's seen 30 years ago at least, right? Where he says, let my people go, right? Like there's this deep voice that I just didn't get blessed with, okay? Let my people go. And Pharaoh's heart, through this, began to grow harder. And so God sends some plagues, each with an opportunity for Pharaoh to let his people go. The first set of these plagues, which all of them were aimed at Egyptian gods, we see opportunities for redemption, and yet we find through Scripture his heart continued to be hardened. Now the interesting thing here is that word in the Hebrew isn't something that God was enacting upon him yet, but rather the word is that that the Pharaoh was allowing this to happen. He continued to grow harder and harder towards God to the point where now the last five plagues, we see a new trajectory happening where it says God then in fact did what? Hardened Pharaoh's heart. 
This means that for Pharaoh, his evil had reached a point of no return. In fact, when we read this story, we would find that even his own advisors thought that this man had lost his mind. And so God takes that evil that that he had bent towards God and others, and God turns it towards a redemptive purpose. It's what I believe maybe we see in Genesis chapter 50, a part where it says what the enemy meant for evil, he turned to good. That God can even take a man that had no even hint of there's a God that I want to serve and still use that to fulfill his purposes is remarkable. And yet, isn't it also just like God that even though he knew Pharaoh would do this, he still offered him chance after chance after chance. Maybe some of you that are here today or some of you that are listening that might be tempted to think, have I hardened my heart so much to the point where I can't see God? And I just want you to take an assurance today that if you're asking yourself that question, the good news is you're not there. You see, the hardened heart we see in this story is one that's incapable of even recognizing it. And so you're being here today and you pursuing these things means that we have soft hearts, doesn't it? Soft hearts that are ready to receive from the Lord, ready to be changed, ready to maybe even start a new course in the redemptive history that he has set out for us. Because when all hope seems lost, but unlike Pharaoh, God provides a means of escape, doesn't he? So in his last plague, he too is going to do what Pharaoh did by taking the firstborn But he provides a means of escape by the blood of the lamb. This is where we get uh, the ancient ritual of Passover that we see the people of God celebrate throughout the Old Testament. It's where I believe we can draw beautiful correlations to the blood of the lamb through Jesus and through our testimony in him today. And so they would cover the houses then with the blood of the lamb. And when the, the angel would come through, it would see the blood on the doorpost and pass by. And yet even then, Pharaoh's heart was so hard that he refused and he lost his own son. It's at that moment, God's people are finally let go. And yet we would find, if we continue to read, that Pharaoh can't let that go either, can he? As they go, he continues to pursue them. And as he pursues, we find that the people of God seem to be trapped between land and this giant body of water many of us know as the Red Sea, and it again appeared like they were doomed. In fact, Exodus 14, 11, the people cried out to Moses, <laughs> listen to him, 14, 11, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? When all hope seems lost, God confronts evil 
And he provides redemption in this moment. And he delivers the Israelites from the enemy. He redeems them. He saves or reclaims his possession. And it concludes then this story in Exodus 15. I don't have time to read this for us today, but if you would just make a mark in your Bible and maybe this week read through Exodus 15, verses 1 through 18. It is there that we find in Scripture the first song of praise. The Lord reigns as king. And yet how many of you have walked out of church where we've praised and and we feel filled and you step into the parking lot and then it isn't an hour later where all of a sudden we forget what God has done for us. How quickly our praise can turn to complaining, isn't it? You see, the Israelite people weren't far different. Now they find themselves in the wilderness and they longed for the good old days. Have you heard that? I'm getting there again. I'm like, man, those 90s were good days. I mean, you had Jordan. You had alternative music. You had Michael W. Smith for some of you guys, right? Zoo is third day and newsboys for me. I mean, the 90s were good old days. And then some of y'all are like, the 90s? I'm talking about the 50s. Right? Thank you. 60s and 70s. The good old days, right? The people began to remember what they thought were the good old days, even under slavery. They had control issues that they just could not get over. And yet, in this moment in the wilderness, when all hope seems lost, he is. You see, God provides streams in the desert, doesn't he, for his people. God provides bread or manna from heaven. And for those of y'all that like your steak, he provided that too. God took care of them. And then it leads us into Mount Sinai where we find this covenant relationship where God gives them some instructions on how they love him and how they love others and live as his representatives. We see this presence that appears in clouds of lightning and thunder in which Moses is given the Ten Commandments or the the terms of agreement. And we see here this nation in which justice and generosity will be different than any other nation that has preceded them. And yet even through that, as I was talking with others this week, the law for many of them still led to a sense of hopelessness. In fact, I had a, pat, or a friend in my last church remind me, he was an older gentleman, I'd talk about this. He goes, Pastor, you know how many laws they had to keep? Know how many, Lowell? I knew it. He just had to tell me 20 times. 613. Can you imagine keeping 613 laws? Like, man, I can't even keep five. The law could seem hopeless even for them. And yet, when all hope seems lost, help me, he is. You see, because through that moment and as we looked, God would provide to them his presence. He would give them a temple. And yet even there, the temple would be a a source of hopelessness eventually. He would lead them into the Jordan, their promised land. And yet there would be hopelessness there. And yet when all hope seems lost, he is. He is the brilliant light that was sent to us to eradicate the darkness, to fully engulf the darkness. He is the hope in hopelessness. 
And I wonder this morning how many of us as we sit here have experienced seasons of hopelessness in our life or how many of us are going through one right now. If I had to guess, you need not look far in front of you, beside you, or behind to figure out that someone is in a season that feels hopeless right now in this very moment. Loss, death, separation, belonging, not not feeling like we fit in anywhere. Purpose, maybe like the idea of what am I supposed to do or even who am I? Anybody feel like there's just no way out? Like you're trapped between what seems like victory and a sea that's in front of you. Trapped in your circumstances, whether they're by your own making or by somebody else's. Maybe some are asking the question this morning, what's the point? If this world's so bad, then why even try? You see, the people of Israel were in a similar boat, weren't they? This isn't an Israel issue. This is a people issue. See, they suffered innocent death. They didn't have a place to call home. They had no purpose or value other than that which was assigned to them. They were trapped. And yet might we be reminded in those moments what their first move was. Do you remember that way back in the story we read about? Their first response was to cry out to the Lord. I don't know where you're at today. I don't know what feels hopeless. But perhaps for some of us, we need to be reminded of the very first step, not the 10th or 11th or the 20th, to cry out to God. Because if we look at this story, God provided hope, didn't he? In all of their darkest moments, A young child named Moses who would deliver them or he would draw them out just as he was drawn out of the water. This coming Friday in the calendar year, here where we live, will be the darkest day of the year. I don't know about y'all, but winter gets a little discouraging to me at 5.30 when we're inside trying to think of ways to entertain a five-year-old, right? Right? What? There's only so many games of Uno you can play, all right? Or Operation or everything. So darkness is upon us. But isn't it fitting that we celebrate the light of the world, the hope in the midst of even the darkest hour at a season called Christmas? This Christmas Eve, I, I hope you'll come join us because it will be a message of that light, that morning star that God gave to us the light of the world. So Jesus came not as Moses, but as one that came in the fullness of God. He wasn't simply a sign pointing to God, but rather we find through Scripture he is Emmanuel, which means God with us. You see, Jesus came, didn't he, to to break the darkness of death. He came that we might belong. He came that we might have purpose. He came that we too might be drawn out of the darkness and into life. When all hope seems lost, He is. He is the radiance, the brilliance, the fullness 
this last week, I believe we got to see God stepping into the Egypt of people's lives and drawing them out. And so on Wednesday night around here, we have a thing called Into, and I'm, I'm still learning about Into and what all of that means. And as I share the story, if our praise team would just come. About right in here, I think, somewhere around here, there's some water stains on this side of the carpet. There was a, there was a big old cow trough, right? They filled it with some water. And that night, person after person came and were drawn out of the water. They were buried in the death of Christ, the the darkness of sin, right? And raised from that water to new life. Drawn out with a new purpose, with a new name, with new beginnings. And we got through four of those and Justin was over here and I was running some cameras and I, I said, is that the last one? And he, he just looked back at me and smiled. He goes, no, there's four more. Eight of our youth on Wednesday night through the expression of baptism, of being dead in their transgressions and raised to life, drawn out from the water, were given the hope of the brilliance of Jesus, fully engulfed in all that he is, the light of the world. That went, oh yeah. That when all hope seems lost. Would you stand with me this morning? Two things this morning I hope we can remember. One is, if you're here today and it feels dark and it feels hopeless, one, I hope you know you're not alone for he is with us. Two, maybe for some of us, we need to make that first step and move to cry out to the Lord this morning. Maybe for some of us watching or here today, we need to say, Lord, I I can't do this on my own anymore. And trust that he can step into our darkness, step into our Egypt. We're going to sing it. He can take us by the hand and lead us into life everlasting with him. Maybe some of you today need to just allow him to perform the redemptive work of Jesus in your heart and in your life this morning that if we confess our sins that he is capable of drawing us out a new creation welcomed into the family of God forgiven promised an inheritance forevermore that's you today as we sing I just want you to think about those things and and maybe the Lord's prompting you to Decide that for yourself today. And for those of us that have, how easily we can forget, right? Oh, let me take the burden off of you. How easily I can forget. And this morning, maybe it serves as a reminder for us that God stepped into our darkness and our space and ushered us into his presence so that we could proclaim, and could you help me here? Like, let's, let's not be passive about this. That we could proclaim, when all hope seems lost, 
Let's try that again. When all hope seems lost, when all hope seems lost, he is the great I am. He is the great redeemer. He is the one that reconciles. He is the radiance and the brilliance of God. He is the one where there is no shadow or faintness in turning with him. He is the one that is capable of walking with you through any and all circumstances of life. He is the one that sees us in our darkest moment and grabs us by the hand and leads us into his promises. Amen? For God is good. And all the time, let's sing of his praises this morning, church, and lift it up to him today.
The late Jimmy Valvano said, every day we ought to laugh, we ought to think deeply about things that are important in this life, and that we ought to have our emotions bring us to a point of tears. Today, it is my prayer that the Spirit of God has allowed us to do all of those things and recognize the joy of the Lord that fills this house of worship today and that leads us into a dark world that desperately needs to see the brilliant, radiant light of Jesus. Amen? And so today, through his strength, not yours, might you go as radiant, brilliant lights of the one who came to pull us and draw us out of darkness. Might we go in his hope. Might we recognize that he is with us and that we are never alone. We go then today in the strong, powerful, brilliant name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. For God is good. And all the time, God is so good. God bless you guys. We love you. Have a beautiful week. Thanks for listening to this week's message from the Napoleon Church of the Nazarene. We invite you to join us each Sunday morning at 9 or 10.30 a.m. for weekly worship and community with other believers. For more information about upcoming events or ways you can connect, find us on Facebook or visit us at napnaz.org. Have a great week.